0: Get fast in home Wi Fi that you can control with Xfinity XFi. See who's online, pause your Wi Fi, or even set a curfew for the kids. That's simple, easy, awesome.
1: Switch to Xfinity today and get a great offer. You'll get fast speeds and the best in home Wi Fi experience with Xfinity XFi. Plus, enjoy great coverage throughout your home and on the go. Even manage
0: your in home Wi Fi network from anywhere when you download the Xfinity XFi app. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1 800 Xfinity, or visit an Xfinity store to switch today. Restrictions apply. Hello, listeners out there. It's the Gut Check Project here with your host, Dr. Ken Brown. I'm Eric Rieger. And of course, on Gut Check Project, you check your egos at the door and nothing's off the table. This is episode number
2: 13. Dr. Brown, what's up? Number 13. I missed that music, man. We, we actually uh, had to travel a little bit. So we missed last week. We did a rerun on that one, but I love that music. I just get my little Get my little groove on whenever I hear that. I'm like, oh, we're going to have some fun today.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it, you know, it reminds me of that you say you miss that music. Uh, the music that I remembered when I was younger on Thursdays was the Cosby Show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're not going to be putting anything in anybody's drinks. So. It's just me and you.
2: It's a great way to open the show. <laughs> <Yeah. Let's> just...
0: <laughs> this is a good chick project. Nothing's off the table. Nothing's and... off the table. We're going to
2: talk about, <laughs> uh, well, big. Oh, boy. Yeah, we, it's we not will... about sweaters anymore, is it? <laughs>
0: yeah. It's definitely not about sweaters. So let's, uh, let's touch on that. Last week, we've been trying for two and a half years, three years, to get into the Institute of Functional Medicine show. And this year, we got our first chance to be a part of it. Uh, I would say, we I... being. Atron Teal Atron Teal And uh, we were joined by Mike Logsdon And I think the three of us Unanimously decided that That not only was a great exposure For Atron Teal We connected with people that have been using Atron Teal For a long time And on top of that I think that we found A lot of new fans who just basically wanted new explanation on how Atron Teal Could fit into their practice They loved the fact that it was less expensive It was an all natural solution for bloating. And then, of course, in Canada, we can say IBS and uh,
2: a. you always have to say a afterwards. Hey, IBS a,
0: <laughs> but not IBSC and IBSD. It's IBS a, but uh, it was, what do you think? I thought that the exposure to that level of really involved in caring practitioner was huge.
2: Well, so we, the IFM, this was the international IFM meeting. We've been trying to get in there for a long time. What I learned from that was, holy cow, there are a lot of very smart doctors who are now adopting this functional approach Yep, because w- the system that we have right now where we just treat diseases, it's breaking the bank completely. It is. it is a broken system that needs to feed on itself. So these are a group of doctors that have flown in from all over the world and there are trying to help people at the base level so that we don't have to get to a point where they're being prescribed opioids or where they're being prescribed this and we're going to give you this thing. And so have a booth there with Teal and then have all these doctors that already knew about us was such a cool experience. Speaking of all of those physicians that were there, think about some
0: of the other people that were there talking about their new delivery systems or for instance, Kiran Krishnan and Just so everyone knows, we're going to do a quick reset right here, if you don't mind. Last week, we didn't have a show so because we were on the road and we didn't have the ability to do a remote show because we were doing a completely different setup. That being said, uh, Karan Krishnan of Megaspore, or actually it's uh, Microbiome Labs, the makers of uh, Megaspore, is a fantastic probiotic. And we ended up doing a recording, which will be released later this month of us interviewing with, uh, uh those kinds of innovative minds. That's what's all over the IFM. It's new ways to deliver health and wellness at a savings to the patient using in most cases, natural approaches and they work and they have science that backs it up. That was really super exciting.
2: that was so cool. So first of all, thank you get on. for taking us out to dinner. He took us out to an amazing Peruvian Asian fusion restaurant, and we just had a blast. We did. And I love being around like-minded people. An entrepreneur who's a scientist, he's a microbiologist in his training. When he came to the house, we did the podcast, he kicked some crazy knowledge. Absolutely phenomenal as to why you should be using a spore-based probiotic and not a traditional probiotic based on plausible science replicated in the lab that is what is amazing he is all about well that makes sense let's test it he is a researcher first entrepreneur second and that's kind of the model that we have with Altron teal is because really we've got some science to back it and that's why we developed it and that's why i think that we're gonna be able to possibly work together to really help a lot of people using the combination of the two yeah, he's, he's,
0: uh, he's pretty amazing. And the way that he talks about science, it's like, he's talking about a friend.
2: Oh, it, he's just, I mean, he describes the, you, you're going to have to listen to this episode because he gets so into it that it's so cool, but we come from bacteria, make no mistake about it. Yeah, And we have lost sight of that and we have developed a world that kills what he calls the holobiome, which is a term I've never heard. He said, we're a rainforest. When you take out the canopy, things die. And we have systematically been destroying our own God-given reason why we're here, which is our microbiome. And we're all about the microbiome also, talking about polyphenols, talking about probiotics, protecting the microbiome. A recent study just came out. um, I just saw that yesterday where they were looking at how the microbiome affects aging. And if you have a healthy microbiome, it's an anti-aging situation.
0: Yeah, man. It's, uh, and really, when you start digging into the science that Kiran, uh, uh, I'm always butchering his name, so Kiran uses to back up where why spore-based probiotics are not only more efficacious, but actually more natural. And then you begin to look at how the microbiome itself benefits from having a spore-based probiotic make its way to the colon. It's It really... The mystery is no longer a mystery. It makes sense on why you need to care for that for your body. And yeah. you're you're basically a vehicle for bacteria. And if you're keeping them healthy and happy, you're going
2: to be healthy and happy. It's the signals. We talked about that. Well, we've always talked about microbiome on this. We talked a few sure. episodes ago where in TCU, they did the study where they injected people with lipopolysaccharides and they showed that the neuroinflammation created impulse problems They led to anxiety, all kinds of stuff.
0: So you just brought up LPS. That's exactly what he talked about was a better marker. Remember that? Instead of just using C-reactive protein and mm-hmm. other uh, markers to find uh, true long, uh, long-term long inflammation in order to find out if you could heal the gut, LPS was a better marker. And you could speak to this. Is that something that uh, current practitioners through traditional medicine are using?
2: No traditional medicine does not look at lps i do have a science article today where we're going to touch on that a little bit okay um because remember we talked about the leaky gut leading to leaky brain right well i've got a really cool article just published this month 2019 june 2019 where we're going to look at how cbd and a cannabinoid like endocannabinoid called pea actually some really cool science on that And that's what we always come back to. It's bridging the gap. We're going to try and take some science and bring it over here. Kiran was talking about that the whole time. He goes, this doesn't make sense why people are doing this with probiotics when we should be doing this because this makes a lot more sense. We don't want to ruin that episode because I think it is one of the coolest, funny, nerdy episodes where we get way into it. Because just like you talk about, he talks about these spores like they're his little baby (laughs) <laughs> and he's like they're going to do this and that, and I mean he loves those things. Yeah, he does. And
0: uh, you're right we don't want to we don't want to spoil that episode because we will release it here in a couple of weeks. However, today on today's episode we have an incredible guest who's got a great journey and a story on how he got to where he is today. That's Leif Harrison. Now currently he is an executive for uh, director of operations for Elixinol, and we know him quite well from that. But he's got so much more depth than just somebody who, who lucked into being in a frontier industry. In fact, one of the coolest things about Leif and the fact that he's in the hemp industry is this is a man who has a military service in the Naval Academy. He was in Annapolis. He was trained uh, by the army on becoming a parachutist. He's got Tactical training, not only in the Navy, but as a civilian, he worked at Boeing. I'm not going to ruin his whole biography and we'll let him do it. But the man has got lots of exposure from the military, from a large corporate structure and now working in literally the wild west of a very legitimate industry, which needs legitimacy.
2: Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why we have teamed up with and all, because I really think that they are just a step above everybody else. We've had Joy Beckerman on that they brought on, and she is a procedure and policy expert. Chris Hussong with the marketing, he's been involved in that. Uh, Listen to those two episodes. We're gonna have Dr. Paul Blair on where we're gonna talk about the science, PTSD and all that. What we have with Leif is this business background. Really smart guy coming from incredible background to say no, you need to legitimize this because this is real, it's not going away, and people need this. We talk about healthcare dollars. We talk about functional medicine. CBD is not going away, and we just need legitimate companies producing great products.
0: Yeah, without question. So stay tuned. Leif will join us in the next half hour. And, uh, well, let's see here. Real quick, paying the bills. Go to lovemytummy.com if you weren't at the IFM conference, and you would like to learn a little bit more about Autron Teal. Lovemytummy.com slash Spoonie. Use code Spoonie. Save some money. And you'll see everything that Mike, Ken, and I talked about while we were down in San Antonio with the IFM. And we will definitely be back next year. That was a fantastic get-together. That was
2: really cool. But seriously, I want everyone to commit to this. Please, go to that website. Support everyone because this supports Spoonie. This supports Functional Medicine. This supports AtronTeal, which we're also doing research. We're teaming up with people. We're meeting all kinds of stuff. So, slash spoony s-p-o-o-n-y
0: last thing before we get into dr ken's corner is going to be uh we keep getting responses of people who have now decided to subscribe to itunes i do want to remind everyone you can also subscribe to gut check project on youtube where you can enter again and of course if you subscribe screenshot that you have subscribed go ahead and leave us a review and in july we will be Awarding at least five winners a free month supply of Autron Teal as well as KBMD CBD of your choosing, either natural or cinnamon flavor. And uh, funny story about that, real quick before uh, I finish out how you can enter, and that is we have a friend whose son has uh, he is a bull rider, suffered a brain injury, and has seizures now. So. This is completely anecdotal. I don't want to make a huge claim here, but however, has been struggling on what's the correct diet recipe for myself to not have these issues has a neurologist that he sees out of Wichita Falls. And here recently began using KBMD CBD just last night, that mom of that, uh, that young man let me know that he doesn't go anywhere without his KBMD CBD now. And he doesn't have nearly the exacerbations of his uh, of his seizure activity.
2: Absolutely love that. Love hearing stories like that. These are real. This is not a subjective. Oh, I feel a little no. bit better. This is not a placebo effect. This is somebody that has objective data showing that they have improvement in something. Not a disease claim. Everybody gets so scared about saying that. But what we did learn from uh, Get on is that you can say what it helps but not the disease so if we can decrease neuro impulsivity which leads to a seizure sure that's that's really the marker that we can do and that's the kind of science that we need to get out there
0: absolutely so just to continue if you want to win your own free atron teal and kbmd cbd subscribe screenshot share write a review send a notification to us that you've done that at kbmdhealth.com or gutcheckproject.com. Just go under connect. You'll see in the drop down menu, you can let us know that you have subscribed and you will be entered and then you can be a winner. That's it. Everyone wins. That's everyone wins. So Dr. Brown, what's going on?
2: Not much. So, you know, we talked about the IFM. It's really cool. I have not been sick and years and years and years and I finally got like my first cold slash I don't know what it was it was (laughs) bad in years and uh, it's fun Um, so I did not go during the proliferative stage of the virus I made sure that I secluded myself fortunately it happened on a Friday and I could um, kind of hide and let that go but uh, then kind of developed a little bronchitis afterwards and then had to go do a show right where you talk you all did. day three days
0: <laughs> <laughs> so neat yeah it's a, it's a perfect recipe
2: <laughs> yeah um, we were in beautiful san antonio for ifm over near it was held at the jw marriott um, great little airbnb we stayed at that was cool like right off property so that was neat yeah it was nice You you kind of scheduled the wrong day. So there's a little funny story to this, and I'm going to let you tell it because I'm a little embarrassed, so I'll throw it back to you, and you can describe what happened.
0: So uh, basically, Ken, you told me that, uh, Eric, I'll meet you down there, I'm flying, I know you're driving, you're taking the equipment down, and I did, I went and checked in, and then I went to the location where the home was for us to stay, and I rang the proprietor, and just as you said I should, she's incredibly friendly, and uh, she said, hey, how you doing? It's like, I'm fine, and. So this is Eric. We're going to stay at your house. And she said, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see you tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, well, that's cool. Cause I'm here today. And, uh, she couldn't have been more accommodating. She laughed. She got everything ready within an hour. Home was beautiful. So we had, uh, we had a great stay, but, uh, she was able to scramble around and get everything up up and running. If you've never done a home share thing, it's, it's a lot like Uber. I mean, uh, VRBO and Airbnb are both super easy to use and huge house very very comfortable um and not really that expensive for us using it for four days
2: considering if you're going to stay in a hotel or something you know because we're working a convention we've got you know a few people me you and mike um it was pretty funny though because that's what happens when you've got two people that are busy doing a bunch of other things and just sort of oh yeah i have to book that place yes okay yeah blah 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 and you move on and so um it probably would be better if we just had somebody to be uh, handling that kind of stuff for us so
0: yeah yeah well it's okay
2: everything turned out well oh it turned out perfect and so we went there beautiful san antonio and like i said kidan took us out to a great dinner and we had a wonderful time that's actually where i did my training so i'm i'm very fond of san antonio that's where i met my wife that's uh you know all that stuff so going back there is always fun i got a lot of uh people there but that was a great uh great conference that was awesome Uh, while i was there um quick update on the family carla actually had a tennis tournament and she killed it in dallas in the dallas area she won the whole thing so she's starting to really hit stride right now really proud of her and uh you know she's realizing that there's a lot of both physical skill but when you get in tennis you really have to put the mental with it because you're out there alone and she's really hitting her groove right now and and uh we're going to be having some national um, tournaments coming up where both kids are now playing on the national level. So I'm very proud of Carla. She did awesome. Lucas appears to be going through a growth spurt because he did absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he just slept and <laughs> ate. So, I don't blame you, Lucas. And good yeah. job, Carla. Nice yeah. work. So, and then of course myself got hit with the cold and, uh, you know, Lloyd is, uh, basically has to make sure that the kids get to these tournaments. So how about you guys?
0: Not everything on our home front is great. Um, Marie's business uh, with her wellness center continues to grow and uh, Gage had had—he's uh, 17, had his wisdom teeth taken out. I guess that was uh two and a half days ago and he's recovering, but he's doing well. I mean, we, we expect good things and I think that he'll be back to his normal self in probably about a day or two. And then uh, Mac, we had uh, several, several yards here in the early summer that need new sod around town, uh, around Decatur. So Mac went out after basketball practice on, uh, I guess it was Monday and Tuesday. And basically he's, he feels like he's a new entrepreneur because now he's walking home with 200 bucks a day, throwing sod,
2: throwing sod. Yeah. That is not easy. I did that when I got my first home in San Antonio. Yeah.
0: So he's pretty pumped about that and a little change in his pocket and uh, not enough time to spend it. So that's the best way to do it. And uh, for a 15-year-old, it's uh, that's not too bad.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. No, that's it, though. It seems like they were moving on with the summer. Yeah, that's cool. We um, Quick shout-out to Melanie Avalon and Jen Stevens, because oh. I did the Intermittent Fasting Podcast again. Love going on their show. Had a great time talking about all kinds of stuff. Uh, one of the things that we did hit on, which I actually had to do a little research, was the carnivore diet. Oh, tell me about it. Well, the carnivore diet, um, it's basically meat oh i'm gonna eat meat all right and uh while i was doing some homework on that you actually pointed uh jordan peterson out to me right yeah how did you find jordan peterson and the work he was doing
0: originally actually it was uh that's a tribute to gage uh gage is a big uh he just spends his time reading about different things all of the time and he finds jordan peterson to be somewhat interesting just as a personality himself it just so happens that jordan and his daughter i believe suffer from his daughter definitely suffers from some, uh, autoimmune issues.
2: Yeah. I think she has been the most outspoken person with this. Correct. Yeah, Michaela,
0: right? That's right. Yeah, I believe that's her name. Yeah. And so she and Jordan both had at least some type of autoimmune issues. They both, uh, reset and decided to go and try the carnivore diet. They'd been reading about it. And according to them, they don't have those issues anymore. And I think that he's 18 months into it or something like that it's around that timeline i can't remember exactly but i have heard his interview um On Joe Rogan and a few other different podcasts where, but Rogan is the one that sticks out the most because he just has the longest format. Yeah. And uh, it's really interesting to hear someone make that transition. I love vegetables. I love fruits. So I don't know if the carnivore diet is for me. Did
2: you see the Joe Rogan, Sean Baker one, the orthopedic surgeon that's doing the carnivore diet as well?
0: No, I know that he's quite outspoken also. I'm not really on Instagram much, but I've seen that he's pretty prolific and basically showing that he likes meat.
2: He likes meat. Similar thing where he went, he's an orthopedic surgeon, really smart guy. He's doing strictly meat. He's eaten quite a bit of meat. So I had my first patient on. We had a long talk and we've tried a bunch of different diets, still struggling with, with some stuff. And so I put him on a um, carnivore diet for the last two weeks. He feels good. Really? Yeah. So my knee jerk reaction would be like, no way. Like everybody else. Like every other diet that's out there. As a traditional doctor, you look at this and you go, "What? What? Paleo? No." And then you go, "Oh wow, that's kind of interesting." Sure. Oh, keto? No. Now, keto—I've tried keto. I am mostly paleo. Tried keto. I—it's I, difficult for me to stay on what I do, and we talk about this on the podcast. So that comes out next Monday, I believe. Well, oh, fa- IFP, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Intermittent fasting podcast. That she's going to release that next Monday. We talk about all this, but the problem that a lot of people do, like I do, is dirty keto. You think you're keto and then you kind of cheat and then you ruin everything and I kind of screwed you know basically screwed some things up doing that so we look at these different diets well the initial reaction is, oh, the carnivore diet that's crazy I mean meat's bad you have all this meat in your colon and John Wayne died with twenty pounds of meat in his colon whatever completely untrue and there are certain um primal lineage people that really survive purely on meat during certain times of the year the inuit eskimos for instance right they're not eating vegetables no it's just strictly meat and then sean baker had some examples of some tribes in africa that really only have meat and they are extremely healthy so i'm looking more into it and that's how come melanie wanted to talk about it so we got we got into that a little bit that's the first time i love going on podcasts like that where i have to do a little homework kind of like doing this thing every single week we try and do a little homework we try and bring everybody up to speed and so that we can all get a little bit better at something. And that's just another example. Looking into it, I got my first patient experience with it. Let's see what happens.
0: Hey, if you've tried the carnivore diet out there and you're a listener of GCP or you know someone that has, shoot us an email. I'm really curious to see what it's like and, and what that transition is like. And how do you feel? How long did you do it? What is it like? It. Whenever you talked about the keto diet and doing dirty keto, I can certainly relate. And I didn't realize that I was relating in the same way, I, would, I feel like I'm avoiding carbs, I'm avoiding sugars, but something that I wasn't taking into account was I was offsetting some of that by consuming probably more protein than I should have, and you can probably speak to this. If you overconsume the protein in terms of the protein ratio to the fat, your body can actually just go through gluconeogenesis. And basically use the protein and turn it into circulating glucose. And you can kind of throw yourself out of keto itself, right?
2: Yeah, it sounds uh, it sounds counterintuitive, but uh, Dr. Sean Baker actually talks about this. He's a, he's a power lifter, holds a couple records in his age group. Mm-hmm. And he got in arguments with other doctors where they said, no, you won't have enough glycogen in the muscle to do this. Well, the fact that you break down the protein, the amino acids, and then you form glycogen in the muscles, that's fuel. So people do keto, but they take too, uh, too much protein in and then- you actually store glycogen in your liver and in your muscles. And then when you work, in fact, when you and I were fasting, mm-hmm. we did a little experiment with you where we were actually working in between patients. Oh yeah. And we did the, uh, we have a keto mojo. We, we checked your ketones, right? Ketones were up. Blood glucose was, you, uh, you run low. Yeah. 58. 59, 58, somewhere around there. And, um, I'm like, Hey, let's try something. Why don't you do a bunch of squats? Yeah. And what happened then?
0: Uh, I think we checked the uh, glucose again. Was it 10 minutes later? And now was it 76? Is that correct?
2: Uh, yeah, your glucose went up and your ketones went down a little bit because yeah. you burned the ketones as fuel and you mobilized some of the glycogen correct. in your muscle. Yeah, So a lot of this physiology takes place and people don't realize that that's actually going on.
0: I did remain in, in technical ketosis cause that's 0.5, I
2: believe on the keto mojo hundred percent. And so one of the things is, did you actually just burn some ketones or did you mobilize the glycogen? I think a little bit yeah, of both, both probably. Both. Yeah. And so that kind of stuff goes on.
0: The so. interesting thing too, is kind of motivated by uh intermittent fasting, just the idea of it. And you know, this most days I only consume uh bacon and eggs for breakfast. And so I've, Typically, stay in moderate ketosis in the morning until we finally get to lunch. Man, that's the first half hour. That
2: was really fast. Holy cow! I got so much more stuff to talk about.
0: Dave's going to hop in, but we're going to get to the uh, to the study and and uh, run it by him and see what he thinks and uh, try something a little bit new. Doing that, but uh, anything to add before we uh, take this break?
2: I just want everybody to take this break and go to lovemytummy dot slash Yeah, yeah, you should totally do that because
0: there's there's some really, everybody wins there, don't they? winners. All right, we'll be back with Leif Harrison here in just a moment. Stay tuned, Gut Check Project episode 13.
2: Dr. Ken Brown here, host of Gut Check Project with my co-host, Eric Rieger. Eric, we've been seeing Mojo guys over there and over here at Spoonie talk about AtronTeal for bloating. I've seen in my practice that is a whole lot more than just a bloating product.
0: Yes, it does a whole lot more than just fix bloating because of the polyphenols that you find
2: in AtronTeal. You're exactly right. The polyphenols are those molecules that we find in the Mediterranean diet. It makes vegetables and fruits very colorful. What are some of the things that these polyphenols do? these polyphenols can actually stop inflammation they can help you have more energy
0: they can help you with anti-aging and polyphenols are great for athletes
2: it sounds like it's going to help a whole lot more people than just bloating tell me how everybody should be taking Atron
0: if you want to dose Atron it's two capsules three times a day basically with your meals but if you aren't bloated and you just want that polyphenol intake every day two to three capsules a day will work for you
2: go to lovemytummy.com slash spoonie Now
1: you can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines.
3: 800-452-1075. 800-452-1075. That's 800-452-1075. Never Forgotten
1: Apparel is more than just a premium women's and men's clothing line. It's a movement to remind us to wear American-made and serve those who serve us. Our heroes. Never Forgotten Apparel gives 20% of their total sales to nonprofits that support homeless veterans and off-duty firefighters, and 50% to individual veterans and firefighters in need nationwide. Check out NeverForgottenApparel.com, use promo code MATT, M-A-T-T, and get 15% off your purchase.
0: all right we're back for the second half hour it's the gut check project episode number 13 and we were talking as we closed out the first half hour about fasting and then i had to ask leif don't say any more because he chimed in and said i tried some of that fasting and i was going to think how long did you do it was like four or five days like i did because that was really hard and he
4: said no i did one that was how long 40 days and 40 nights that
2: is was that is that the daniel fast which one is
4: that (laughs) no that was just a uh irresistible call by god to fast really yeah um so i just did some quick internet research on like how to even attempt it and i settled on uh it was all water with a little bit of um, organic fruit juice in the morning and a little bit of organic veggie juice at night and i just ran with that the whole way 40 days yeah that's the longest I've heard anybody doing anything. Like it's, that. uh, looking back on that, it, this is probably maybe four years ago, literally not possible without God. Really? Yeah. I don't think, I don't think a human being can just sit down and knock it
2: out on their own. Wow. Did you have a regimen of prayer that you were doing with this? Yes. Kind of uh, like a Ramadan, the way that they, that, that is done.
4: Yes. I think it was probably two, three times a day. I had, uh, some note cards of prayers that I'd written down in advance. And I just worked through those with, with issues.
2: Uh, I and my family were dealing with at the time. And we just worked through that the whole time. That's amazing. There's when you look at fasting, it's in every single religion, really, if you look at it.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, the only other person I can remember that's even come close to as long as life is uh, Rita Marie Lascano. Oh, that's right. She went to, and for the, almost the same, the, the, the same motivations. she went and she went to a, I don't, a, I don't know if it's called a resort, but it's basically a place that they facilitate people that are going to do long-term fasts, and they give them coaching, they give them support, they make certain that they don't have to move too much while they do it, and they make sure that they have water, that they're hydrated. But she, I can't remember if she said she did four weeks, five weeks, something did, like that.
2: Did you have a die-off period or some period where you went through like a keto flu or that stuff that people talk about? So
4: I don't have any terms for it. Uh, But you go through multiple stages during the whole process. So my experience was probably about every four to five days, you would switch from one aspect of it to an entirely new one. And so it started out with uh, incredible headaches and then those passed. And then this is my understanding. I don't know if it's valid or not, but it appears that maybe there are a bunch of heavy metals stored up in your body and that in the course of an extreme fast, they are, they're being released and hopefully flushed out. But apparently they tend to then collect in the larger muscle groups. So you go through things like extreme thigh pain, extreme back pain, that type of thing. And that's the only correlation I can make to why you get those kinds of pains. But then again, over the weeks of the fast, they tend to be the focus and then they tend to move on from that you're, God, you're really selling this. this so fun! <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: like I said, it's, it's not something that can be done on your own, in my opinion. So this is, uh, <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. That so I've tough. done, I've done a five day fast. You've done a water fast yeah. five days. I've done the prolonged fasting mimicking diet. I've done fasting in my opinion is the greatest life hack you can do that. What you did is like Navy seal stuff. That is that is tough. Yeah,
4: it's in my opinion, it's uh, God inspired and uh, God supported. So um, I don't think it can be done on your own. And uh, uh, for the for the scripturally sound people out there, uh, I'm well aware that the Bible speaks to this is not something you brag about. Uh, I only share it because that was just a process I went through. and, And maybe somebody
2: else can relate to that. Uh,
0: I think no, it's I think an it's incredible great. journey. I mean, and, you, and I don't think you're bragging at all. I mean, it's just, it's an experience for sure. Oh
2: yeah. No, you're being very honest. Headaches, yeah, muscle aches, tough, can only do it if I focus on prayer. No, that's, I mean, I think that that is, um, there's a lot of people that need to reset and I, I do the fast, I fast for the five days usually, or I'm trying to do it four times a year and I find a lot of habits that I've developed that I go, oh my gosh. That's more of a habitual thing of having that snack or having that glass of wine at night or whatever. When you start paying attention to it. And one surprise at the end, I didn't need
4: to come off it. I mean, when I finally hit the goal, uh, I, I could have kept going, but I stopped, but I wasn't expecting that part. Wow.
0: That is, that is, that is very impressive. And you said a word that I like is reset. So it sounds to me like life, uh, you you were inspired to do it and you had your own motivations one of them that you didn't specifically mention but of course the body being a temple it would only make sense what type of away from the spiritual benefits what type of of a body uh, improvements did you notice at the conclusion of the fast did you feel healthier did you sleep better did you find and maybe even during the fast you began to just have better periods of rest and, and clarity i'm just kind of curious.
4: I don't know that I can speak to any of those specifically. You know, what little reading I did on it leading up to it and then trying to kind of understanding it after all all that happened was, it, you know, if if losing weight is a goal of your fast, then I'm under the impression that you really don't want to be in caloric deficit more than about 300 calories per day. When you're doing it, an, uh, and at that level, uh, you tend to, to compensate for that deficit. Your body tends to burn way more fat than switch to muscle for calories. When you do an extreme one, that sort of 90, 10 ratio, becomes more like 50, 50. And so you, you take hits across the board. Yeah. So, uh, it, it literally came out to, uh, I think I was 39 pounds lighter after 40 days, 39 pounds. Wow. Right. But, uh, a lot, I lost a lot of muscle mass in the process. Sure.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a sacrifice though for you know for going for going through it. I mean nothing like that comes easy, but I do think that there's a spiritual reset, there's a family
2: interaction reset. Yeah, did you do it with 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 your wife? Was this was this you alone? No,
4: this- I I told her in advance and then we cuz I just I told her I just kept feeling this pull and this not preoccupation with it, but it just wouldn't set aside and then uh, I, I targeted a date for the future uh, to start it, but I was just like, I think I'm just going to start now. And so I just warned her because this would be, a, you know, I didn't know what was coming and it would affect, you know, the family for a good six or seven weeks. Um, but I basically just started it about a uh, a week or two after
2: uh, having it come top of mind and just did it. That's impressive because, let me tell you what I've had periods during those five day fasts, each one um had different issues, but it i wanted to I wanted to day three, I'm like, okay, I'm done. you know I want to oh, yeah. stop now this is I, I I'm hungry definitely did you go through so both Eric and I experienced uh there is a hormone called orexin that when you get to a certain point, your body's telling you to get out there and go do something. Did you have a surge of energy? At some point day four day five of the first no but I appreciate that people who do shorter fasts go through experiences
4: like that so I think mentally I was in this for the long run uh, to the best that I could be so I wasn't thinking of it in short chunks plus I was dealing with the fact that sort of uh, various kinds of pain were coming and going and it, that would really absorb a lot of the moment um, but I do know that people who do three-day five-day type runs um, it's almost I don't know if it's almost like a runner's euphoria, but there's, there's, there are things that can kick
2: in during that time that, that can make it pretty special, and, and it's hard to access those other ways. Isn't that fascinating? Because mentally, your body, your body knew that it had to do this. So the reason why this actually kicks in, it's, it's, it's an evolutionary thing, where if you're, if you're part of a tribe and you need to go out and get food, you haven't had food, by day three or four, you get this surge of energy. And we all did. I woke up at one a m and just started cleaning a closet and it makes sense because this hormone kicks in because it says, "Look you need to go get you need to go get food you need to go get a surge of energy when you get beyond that when you get into a longer fast, that ends, and then you're actually in this starvation mode. You actually went to a starvation point
4: yeah what's also interesting is you think about um, people lost at sea um, uh, all, all kinds of situations uh you know uh civil unrest, something where when food and water become an issue, yeah. um, there really do seem to be some hard stops and hard stops tend to be like three days max without water or you're in, you're in serious trouble, but you could go 30 days without food. And so I don't you know, I'm sure most people aren't prepared to try to do that, but it seems like physiologically you could do that if you
2: had to. Wow. That's just impressive. That's super impressive.
0: And it's, it's and, and not so much the fast or the duration. It's the commitment that uh, Leif was able to put himself in to see himself. Well, we're going to get
2: into your background, which is really cool. Yeah, And very clearly, you're a very mentally strong person, but you don't own it. You say, no, I can only have done it with prayer and through God. Yeah, it was an irresistible pull. It
4: was never something I thought about. It just happened, and then about two weeks later,
2: I uh, decided to just go for it. You know what? I'm going to be more like you from now on. I'm going to start with this also. Can you stand up for a second real quick? Uh Uh-oh. There's an irresistible pull here. There's an irresistible pull. We're going to take a quick picture. All right. That's good. The reason why I just took a picture, because I want to be more like Leif. Well, Amazon just launched a brand new thing. I think it actually started yesterday. Uh Uh-oh. Called Style Snap. And you can look at somebody. (laughs) And here is a picture of... Leif that I just took right there. Yeah. And then Amazon will build your outfit for me. It's called Style Snap. Somebody has to. I know. So I can get a... uh, (laughs) There we go. I'm going to get a uh, Tommy Hilfiger shirt that i can get from amazon so basically my wife's been trying this for seven years so (laughs) (laughs) leave it to amazon to fix that problem yeah and then i can get some kenneth cole pants and i will look exactly like you so it's called style snap it's interesting so amazon has not done very good about breaking through the clothing market i saw a news article on it yesterday yeah just came out so you can walk around the city and be like that person looks cool take a picture and then just order the whole outfit to your house right there.
0: I don't know if that's cool or creepy as it's hell. It's
2: creepy. Yeah, now
0: that that I mean it it's cool as a
2: tinker. Yeah. Uh, I could see me at day seven looking just like that be like no my muscles my head hurt screw this I'm, hey, I'm eat.
0: what if you take a picture of somebody who's really really stacked and all it doesn't show a shirt it just has a bunch of weights for you to order <laughs> 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 or a treadmill or something like that that'd be awful
4: Mail, <laughs> mails you a blender and some protein powder you know? <laughs> a couple of videos yeah.
2: yeah
0: that's pretty sweet um Leif do you mind sitting in while we uh, while we attack uh, this <clears throat> week's uh research topic let's do this all right
2: all right so every single week we always i always try and pick up something that's relatively new that i find interesting and most of the time uh, it gets really sciencey and really geeky so i try to dumb it down but this is really cool because a few weeks ago we talked about leaky gut and a lot of my colleagues in the traditional medicine space Uh, They don't even acknowledge leaky gut. They don't even say that leaky gut exists. They say that there's no intestinal permeability. We really do know that there's a lot of evidence out there. Mm -hmm. The article that we described that time was leaky gut, leaky blood, brain barrier. Right. And now we have some evidence that Alzheimer's and dementia can actually be caused by intestinal health. So this article just came out. Um, It was published in the Inflammatory Bowel Disease, June 2019. Very recent, very recent and what they actually looked at these researchers, some really cool stuff. It comes out of the UK and they looked at, it's actually one article, including two different studies, one an in vitro study, Mm -hmm. which means they do things outside of the body in a lab. Mm -hmm. And then they use that knowledge to piggyback it on an in vivo study. And the in vivo is when you look at humans and you look at certain end outcomes So this is really cool. And what they looked at is that we all know that the tight junction in the intestines, it's a selectively permeable barrier. You have to be able to absorb and take in calories. And you know, unfortunately, we're talking about fasting. There's a lot of people with a lot of intestinal disease where they fast even though they don't want to because they're not actually absorbing all the food that they're actually taking in. Right. So in addition to... CBD that we always talk about. Right. There are other endocannabinoid-like compounds, and the definition of them, and we've talked about that. Like, um, riduzone is one of them. Right. But another one is called PEA or palmitoyl and this is an atypical endocannabinoid that is actually found in food. So it's found in soybeans, it's found in eggs, and our body actually produces it. It increases your own endogenous anandamide levels, and it actually binds to certain receptors. So, a little sciencey, but it makes sense. So, this article looked at CBD and PEA. Mm-hmm. PEA is one of those molecules that, depending on how you want to use it, but it is an entourage molecule. So, it actually works together with CBD in your own endocannabinoid system. So, they have shown that uh, PEA can bind to something called PPAR alpha, which is just a receptor similar to an endocannabinoid receptor. Just keep that in mind. Okay. So this group had previously shown that inflammation actually causes an increase in the permeability of the intestine. So these guys are on the forefront of leaky gut and have always been on the forefront of this. They looked at how CBD in previous animal models could actually help this. And they published this big meta-analysis looking at animals on how CBD and PEA can actually correct leaky gut. Based on this, they went down this path, and this is the study that they actually just published. So, when we had Kidan on the show, he geeked out like crazy. Right,
0: yeah, he definitely did.
2: This is my geeking out, because this justifies a lot of the stuff, and why a lot of the reasons why all health begins and ends in the gut. Why we have become sicker as a society and we're going to talk about that Chris Kresser article that oh, yeah. that, that you got from him, and it, it makes total sense now. So the in vitro part of this is that they took intestinal tissue, human intestinal tissue, and they soaked it in these inflammatory cytokines. So these are cytokines that your body produces when it's exposed to toxins, specifically like TNF-alpha, interferon gamma, and things like that. They showed that this inflammation caused an increase in leaky gut. And they looked at these very specific cell parameters where they could show, oh, look, this size of molecule came through. And they did it in a very elegant study.
4: So does this tend to be outside molecules penetrating or inside
2: materials leaving? So what they did is they soaked the tissue in these inflammatory cytokines. And then they used immunofluorescence to show that it actually was going through from one side to the other. So, inside to, well, technically, the inside of the lumen mm-hmm. crossing the barrier into the inside of whatever that they had. And in this case, it was just another medium, but it would normally be crossing into the lamina propria where your body would react to it.
0: So, essentially, what you're saying is is the <clears> particles <throat> that shouldn't have been making its way to the bloodstream are now being sampled by the bloodstream.
2: In this piece of tissue right so it's the first time I've ever read an article where somebody looked at this and said leaky gut does exist when you cause inflammation this actually happens okay so then they added a PEA okay the molecule that is a cannabinoid like receptor that is found in a full spectrum hemp product so it's going to be one of the entourage molecules there mm-hmm. and they showed that the PEA markedly decreased the penetration of these molecules all right Good. So then they said, "Okay, well that's objectively kind of cool." So then they blocked the receptor that PEA binds to, called uh-huh. PPAR alpha. Uh-huh. So they did that with another molecule. The leakiness continued. Continued. Impressive. So now we know. So we sit there and we talk about where's the science in the CBD and uh, cannabinoid industry? There's people like this publishing this, and nobody's talking about this. Absolutely amazing, because they said, okay, look, it stopped it, then we blocked where it works, and it happened again. Keep that in mind. All right. So, then they added CBD. This also markedly improved the permeability, stopped the permeability. Then they were able to bind the CB1 receptor, and it happened again. Okay. So, they've got a molecular model where they showed, oh, this is where it's happening. It actually prevents leaky gut. This, in my mind, proves on a cellular level that inflammatory markers alone can create intestinal permeability or leaky gut. But now we have a mechanism that I can tell my patients, look, this is why I like to use these products in the symptoms that you have. We now know that when somebody comes in and they've got bloating and they hurt, they've got a bad diet, um, a highly processed diet, and they say things like, I have brain fog, I feel fatigued. I've developed Hashimoto's. I've got this. We know that you've now opened this gate and your body is reacting to the outside world. Specifically, it could be reacting to bacterial components, to antigens, things like that. So many of these people, this is how I got into uh, talking about CBD in the first place because I was seeing such incredible improvement. Sure. I'm like, I don't really know why you're getting better. Now we have a reason why. Don't you
0: feel like that these levels of validation in terms of discovering what the MOA, I'm sorry, what the mechanism of action is, in part is is one of the key pieces that universally the hemp industry just needs for the validation. And actually, it's not even about the hemp industry that it could be the diet industry. It could be anything where there's applicable beyond anecdotal improvement. It's just how do I piece together the science to show that what we're doing is going to actually work? And I think that we can do that with studies like this.
2: When you have a study like that where the plausibility of it makes sense, and these guys clearly are deep into the weeds and this kind of stuff. This is their passion. And they've already done meta-analysis on on animal models, so they kind of had a pretty good idea. Look, we just need to prove it on a cellular level. So then they kicked it up a notch in this same paper, which is fascinating because it's basically two different studies.
0: Right, yeah. It is pretty fascinating.
2: Then they decided, okay, this is cool. Nobody's going to believe us. Let's see what we can do in humans. So the same group took 30 individuals and gave them high-dose aspirin. Aspirin in itself can actually create, it's an inflammatory thing. We know aspirin creates ulcers. I'll see people who come in with GI bleeds and you know, they're on aspirin. And <clears throat> aspirin does some good things, but it also increases intestinal permeability. Okay. So the way that they proved this is that they got people, they gave them aspirin. And then they did what's called a lactose mannitol test. And it's an interesting old test that mannitol is a very small molecule and it'll go through and be absorbed. And then you pee it out. Lactulose is a big molecule and technically you don't absorb it and you'll poop it out. Right. If you have intestinal permeability, that lactulose mannitol ratio comes closer. So you start peeing some lactulose out. Right. So they gave aspirin till people started peeing lactulose out, which I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, I'm they, a good baseline for dumbing things down, and I think I followed that. Sweet. <laughs> I like that. Um, they did reference. This is kind of funny. They did reference other science articles as to why they use aspirin as opposed to other things, and they referenced a few trials in uh, Europe where people tried to give them straight lipopolysaccharides, which is bacteria. And people went septic, so they're like, no, we can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) So although this is not an ideal test, it's the closest you could get to something like this. So once they determined that they had leaky gut, and once they determined that they were peeing out this lactulose, they randomly, this was a randomized placebo-controlled trial, Mm -hmm. gave them CBD, PEA, Mm -hmm. or placebo. Okay. Now, they did give them pretty high dose, so it was CBD at 600 milligrams and PEA of 600 milligrams. Per day? Um, yes, per day. And they admittedly said it was sort of, we're just going to give them that dose and see what happens. They tried to base it off some of the ratios that they soaked the tissue in, in the first study, but they admittedly say, we're just trying this to see what happens. They They did have a placebo control though. They did have a placebo. Correct. So they were able to show that the addition of CBD and PEA dramatically reduced the lactulose mannitol ratio. Okay. So in humans, they showed that at least with this particular test, Mm -hmm. leaky gut improved. They took it one step further. And these guys are, I mean, it's like, like I would have published the first part. Sure. It'd been Eureka. And they do this one. And then they're like, wait, wait for it. Right. Let's take molecules, which are the exact size of bacterial lipopolysaccharides. Okay. Without causing sepsis. Yeah, it's important. So they found these dextrans called FD4 and FD10, which I, I just I love how science minds works. Where somebody just goes, let's get the exact size because it's a size thing, right? And if it crosses, then we know that they're going to react to the lipopolysaccharide or they're going to react to the bacteria. These happen to be very similar to the size of E. coli, and I can't remember what, sacri- uh, I, don't, I don't remember what the other one was, but basically very common GI pathogens okay. that we would actually react to. Both CBD and PEA reduced the FD4 and FD10 transfer as well. So people weren't peeing that out. So they were using it like a lactulose mannitol test. And why this is relevant is because this is the first time in humans that two compounds have a mechanism to repair mucosal-induced leaky gut. That's impressive. And they believe it's through changes in the tight junction receptors and something called aquaporin-3 in the ileum. I've not heard of that. I've not heard of it either. As it turns out, aquaporin-3 is something that in Crohn's disease gets upregulated to try and absorb more water water Uh. so you don't get dehydrated. So it's a it's a mechanism that the body knows that the gut is inflamed Uh and you want to absorb more water so that you can survive longer because you can go three days without water. Or if you have too much diarrhea, that'll you'll deplete it. Sure. You know, the 30 days with food. So it's an incredible mechanism that you can't beat Mother Nature. You 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 give it you give what the body needs. It's going to do this. So what they theorize that this is why it may be really useful inflammatory bowel disease. So in my space, this is an incredible finding where we've got, um, you know, I've got a lot of Crohn's and colitis. I've got a lot of uh, people with that. I can at least look at them and say, look, I think that this might help because of this mechanism. When you look at the research with megasporbiotic, Biotic, it's not a disease claim. You're talking about mechanisms. The mechanism makes sense. And many of my colleagues don't even believe in leaky gut. So it's very hard to actually talk about, hey, I want to tell you about a disease process. And then I want to tell you how this molecule that you probably don't know anything about is going to help that. And this is what we're going to get into in the next half hour. You know, the, the whole process of how you sit there and educate and where people come. And that's what Leif's going to get into. He's got a great, incredible background. But how do you educate someone on a benefit when they don't even know that the disease exists? That's that white noise that we were talking about.
0: So-, so- well, Leif, we're going to go through your, your history and how you got to where you are, but just we've got just a couple of minutes. What do you think, since you are director of business in the hemp industry, when you hear new levels of validation for the application of hemp products, and it's not, it's not just subjective, this is objective data, what does that do to embolden the effort of education in and around CBD?
4: Yeah, I think two things come to mind. One is... There's just a vacuum waiting to be filled bigger than we can imagine for science backed argument for what's going on that many, many people can just anecdotally express, um, but don't know what type of context or framework to put it in. And then number two, it's communication. Um, There's so many people waking up to what this seems to be. And in doing so, a uh, few sources to go to, and also buyers in the CBD market needing a a, a a a a a simple message that resonates that speaks truth above all the noise in the market that is confusing it, um, and probably in in itself based on a lot of nonsense. Uh, it's it's difficult to explain, but it's just stressing that. Uh, everybody coming in and taking a look needs to be brought in 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 a way that that is anchored to truth to the
2: best of our ability so that they can make the best decisions for themselves. And I think that, so we, I have a graduate student that helps us, and she sends me articles like this weekly. She's like, talk about this on your show. This is really cool. And this is a thick, thick, thick article. So every time I talk to people, my colleagues, traditional MDs, they go, there's no science behind that. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I've got thousands of articles looking at the science. You just haven't taken the time to do it because you haven't had a drug rep show up and go, oh, here's the detail piece. We have been Pavlovian trained that we shouldn't look at anything unless you have lunch in your tablet.
0: <laughs> well, that is, that is the <laughs> truth. So that is going to round up this half hour. We're going to be back here in just a moment. But what we're going to bring back is some context behind Leif Harrison. See y'all in just a couple of minutes.
3: This is the only 24-hour, take-anywhere platform dedicated to food and fun. We're Spoonie.
5: Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Wally Hines. The world is marking the 75th anniversary of D-Day by honoring its survivors and the fallen. June 6, 1944, Operation Overlord, the massive
1: Allied land and sea invasion of the French coast that began Nazi Germany's downfall and helped end World War II a year later. To the Americans that fought there.
3: You are among the very greatest Americans who will ever
1: live. Speaking near Omaha Beach, the president called them the pride of the nation. French leader Emmanuel Macron said his nation thanks them and the other allied troops who broke Hitler's hold on France. We know what we owe to you veterans. All freedom. I'm Sagar Magani. Before
5: heading to Normandy, the president telling reporters in Ireland he's not worried about threats to block his plans to impose tariffs on Mexico.
1: told Mexico the tariffs go on, and I mean it too, and I'm very happy with it. And a lot of people, senators included, they have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to tariffs. They have no absolutely no
5: idea. The president says he'll go ahead with those tariffs on Monday unless talks in Washington between the US and Mexico aimed at curbing illegal immigration bear some fruit. A power outage at LAX last night scrambling check-ins and forcing dozens of flight delays, diversions, or cancellations. Katie Bellum spoke with KNBC TV.
2: I was actually in the restroom when I noticed lights went off and then got back out and all of the restaurants, all of the lights were out. And we got to the escalator to walk down to baggage claim, and that also wasn't working.
5: Officials say a two-second power bump caused the airport to go dark about 6 p.m. local. Amazon says it's getting close to starting drone deliveries of packages in the coming months. It promises some deliveries in 30 minutes or less. News and analysis at townhall.com. Never
1: Forgotten Apparel is more than just a premium women's and men's clothing line. It's a movement to remind us to wear American-made and serve those who serve us. Our heroes. Never Forgotten Apparel gives 20% of their total sales to nonprofits that support homeless veterans and off-duty firefighters. And 50% to individual veterans and firefighters in need nationwide. Check out NeverForgottenApparel.com. Use promo code Matt, M-A-T-T and get 15% off your purchase. and qualify for free shipping. Stop overpaying and call right now.
3: 800-218-6473. 800-218-6473. 800-218-6473. That's 800-218-6473.
2: Dr. Ken Brown here, host of Gut Check Project with my co-host Eric Rieger. I've seen in my practice that Atron Teal is a whole lot more than just a bloating product.
0: Yes, it does a whole lot more than just fix bloating because of the polyphenols that you find in Atron Teal. What are some of the things that these polyphenols
2: do, Eric? These
0: polyphenols can help you have more energy and polyphenols are great for athletes.
2: It sounds like it's going to help a whole lot more people than just bloating. Go to lovemytummy.com slash Welcome back. We
0: are now going to start the second hour of Gut Check Project, Episode 13. I'm joined by your host, Dr. Kenneth Brown. I'm Eric Rieger, and today's guest is Leif Harrison. He has quite a journey to uh, his uh, current position as Director of Business Operations for Elixinol. And uh, before we get to Leif, just need to remind you that if you would like to grab yourself some Atron Teal, go to lovemytummy.com slash spoonie. Use the code SPOONY, save some money. That is power packed with polyphenols, happens to be the only NSF certified for sport indicated over the counter product for IBS and bloating. Ken,
2: what does that mean? Well, that means that we have done rigorous testing on it. So if you happen to be an Olympic athlete, a college athlete, or somebody that wants to make sure that what you take, there was a recent study uh, that just came out yesterday on how they were warning teenagers. Uh, Lots of increased ER visits where teenagers are trying to do weight loss products um, and sports supplements that they're finding lots of nefarious ingredients in there, pharmaceutical stuff. And that's NSF guarantees that none of that stuff exists. And so that's how come if even if you're an athlete, these polyphenols can help you recover. They increase nitric oxide to the muscles. And they get rid of reactive nitrogen species and reactive oxygen species.
0: Just is a quick story. Did you know last week at IFM, there were uh, two physicians that deal with uh, uh, athletes, and they, they saw the NSF moniker, which doesn't always mean a whole lot to everyone, but when you're with athletes that it matters to, they came up and they said, that's really cool that you have that. That means that we can use that. And I didn't know... I knew nothing about NSF until I was contacted by the registered dietitian that was on staff from the Oakland Raiders and wanted to know if I could uh, sell them in bulk some Atron Teal for them to distribute amongst the coaches and the wives of players. And I said, well, what about the players? And he said, well, if you're not NSF certified, there's not anything that we can do with it. And uh, that's really what threw me in. I learned that they have a collective bargaining agreement with that includes the recommendations from physicians and dietitians that work in the MLB, NFL, most um, NCAA-sanctioned, uh, uh, what you might call it, uh, schools. Mm-hmm. They have to adhere to NSF for for cleanliness.
2: And the other thing we always like to geek out a little bit: the polyphenols in atron teal do something really cool related to the endocannabinoid system. Can they you explain sure what that is?
0: Well, basically, you have your own endogenous cannabinoids that uh, your body uses to stimulate your ECS and it just so happens that FAAH is one particular enzyme that breaks down those endocannabinoids where they are supposed to function and if you are light in your polyphenol intake that enzyme may be a little bit more reactive than you need it to be and so your ECS or your endocannabinoid system tends to not function at its optimal level. So having enough daily polyphenols can actually enhance the ability for your CBD, both your well your CBD that you may be taking but as well as your endogenous cannabinoids to work better.
2: So one of the things we talk about is NSF certification on Atron Teal. one of the reasons why we've teamed up powered by Elixinol KBMD health CBD is because they do everything right from the beginning to the end soil to bottle. They they have certificate of analysis and we have our guest today Leif Harrison, who happens to be the, what is your official title? Director of Business Development. Director of Business Development. And his pathway to get there is really interesting. Yes, it is. And what you're going to find out when we get through all of this is that a company like Elixinol is really finding some very intelligent, very well-rounded people to bring some legitimacy to this industry, which really... Although it's been around, it's been referenced since Chinese medicine, uh, 2400 BC, or whatever it is that we talked about on one of those shows. Um, right now, it seems very, fairly new, and there's a lot of people out there. It's kind of the Wild West. And so they tracked a guy like you down, and we're going to go through because I think one of the coolest things is your background. We talked about your 40 day fast and the mental discipline, and you're calling by God to go ahead and do that. That shows your character. But where you come from, I think, is. Absolutely amazing. So,
0: yeah, no. So you, you filled out a little questionnaire like we ask everyone to do, and you were born in Phoenix, and then I know that you ended up uh, in Annapolis in the Naval Academy. So, do you mind, Leif, telling us a little bit about what uh, what drove you to join the uh, naval uh, the Naval Academy and and uh, how, what that experience
4: was like in the eighties? Well, this was the eighties, so I wasn't exactly Spic- I was Spicoli without the marijuana. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, I actually grew up in the Midwest in Ohio, uh, but believe it or not, I grew up a competitive sailor uh, from probably age eight on and uh, did well enough that by the time I got through high school, uh, I got enough accolades to actually draw the attention of the sailing coach at the Naval Academy. Uh, And at the time, they were like multi-year NCAA champions. So uh, minus the sailing, um, well, it it was probably... a combination of two things that got me in one was the sailing and one was this was right in that sweet spot of the Reagan layman Navy buildup for the for the 600 ship Navy uh, at the time so uh, they were just allowing more
2: people in sure and can but, I ask you a quick question because whenever people come on the show I'm like I'm curious like when we had robo on mm-hmm. I'm like how did you become a professional rodeo guy how does one get into sailing and like where do you start with that
4: right so my dad was just an extremely gifted mechanical engineer and through uh, a job change to ohio he got surrounded by other high-end engineers who were actually in this very high performance sailing world and so they sailed this one type of boat called a 505 and this boat was very technically demanding and so for an engineer who could, like, tinker on it at the same time, that's what his draw was. But they actually, my parents became very good sailors, and then I was just brought in that world 24-7.
0: What's a 505? Is that kind of a like fi- a
4: catamaran? Or? It's, it's actually it's metric, so it it's, uh, uh, stands for, like, really 5.05 in meters. That was the length of the boat. It was just called a 505. Um, but it was very similar to some of the high-performance boats they would sail in
2: the Olympics at the time. And so you didn't like start out like when you find like when people become Formula One race car drivers, they start out in go karts and they work their way up to this. As, a, as a kid, of- you do. So there are there are many different kinds of boats to fit
4: many different kinds of, of capabilities and goals. And so you can really progress and sort of graduate almost like, you know, tadpole to minnow, yeah. you know, like in and going up to dolphin, you know, and get your badges along the way. Sailing's a lot like that and then coincidentally at the same time as when windsurfing was born. So my folks, again, just happened to be at the right spot where there were less than maybe 8,000 windsurfers in the entire world. This was right at the beginning in the mid-'70s, but they had them, so I learned how to do that at the same time. So I was on these parallel paths, and then again, by the time I got to high school, I was good enough to you know finish well at national championships and things like that, and then from that, unexpectedly get the attention of uh, the coach at the Naval Academy, and the next thing I know is essentially I did just well enough on SATs and all the other requirements everybody else had that uh, I had the
2: opportunity to, to go. Dude, that is no joke. Naval Academy is, I mean, when you say that, it's just immediately total respect. I mean, that's, that is an impressive place to get your education.
0: Without question, and then so your experience in the Naval Academy—were you on or competitive on the sailing team for all four years? Or
2: yeah, I did it for
4: three and a half, three and a half years. Uh-huh. I decided just in the last semester to just shut it down. Um, but it was, it was a, it was a, that was some schedule. I mean, so if you go from being sort of Spicoli-ish in high school, okay, right, <laughs> to then bang, you're on the other, ex- other extreme of hard regimen. Hard academics, hard hours commitment. Uh, you know, I was probably between between academics and sailing. Uh, I'd be lucky to have a few
2: hours a week, you know, to myself. We talk about it with our kids. Your your son Gage is seventeen. He's looking at colleges. Um, my son's a competitive tennis player, and you start realizing, wow, when you choose to take that scholarship to a college, it's a job, and no matter what it is. Robo was talking about it. He went and did rodeo at his college and you're just like i don't care if it's football sailing rodeo no matter what you're doing that's a job it's a job you're committed the sport
4: probably took 35 to 40 hours a week just on the sport wow my goodness what so your
0: experience in the naval academy beyond the sailing uh, um what's your degree in
4: yeah math i got a bachelor of science in mathematics that's
2: fantastic. And that, not, not being That's probably why they brought you on to election all, right? Your math acumen? Um, I don't think they'd say that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, so, but probably a lot of your experience along the way is the reason that they brought you on. And I know that when you are in the Naval Academy, you uh, you did become a parachutist. And so what did that entail once you were trained to jump from planes and what kind of uh, training did that?
4: Right, so part of the professionalism the military professionalism you undergo at the academy is uh are these sort of um, summer experiences that are required so if you think of a normal three months of summer they fill it up with two in terms of various kinds of training depending on what grade you're at at the Mm -hmm. academy so um one of the summers generally one of those two months that you have to do is set you're on you're either on a ship or you're getting a variety of sort of uh Worldwide naval experiences, submarines, aircraft, the Marines, all kinds of things. Very cool. Um, But the other month is more elective. And uh, if you could pass the required tests, you could do things like go to Army Airborne School uh, at Fort Benning, Georgia, where the soldiers go or you could get scuba training or jungle training in Panama. There were all
2: kinds of things at that time. This is your elective. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: so
4: cool.
2: Do I want to jump out of a plane? Do I want to be in a jungle? Do I want to? Yeah, that is cool. Mine was bowling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you uh, obviously, you you selected to go to Georgia and to jump out of planes. What was that like?
4: it was okay. I mean, you know, it's the Army way, so they took three weeks to teach you something
2: you could learn in a week. <laughs> All right. So I did, just on a quick side note, <laughs> in San Antonio, where I said that we were we were just there, but I did my training, and so we would have to rotate during our fellowship at Wilford Hall and Brooke Army Base, and they would totally crack jokes like that the whole time on each on other. On each other, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's inevitable. It never stops.
2: <laughs> so it's funny because... You
4: know, uh, you go through this training, and it's, you know, it's the army world, and you just have to play ball for a few weeks. Uh, but it's also <laughs> the same training that that SEALs would go to after Buds, because it was the only sort of real formal, basic parachuting school to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, like the army would send their Rangers to or their airborne guys to that type of thing. Those guys would just stand there and laugh the whole time. I mean, the 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 army you know sergeants running this program they they didn't even know what to do with them but this was just some box (laughs) the seals had to check so normally there'd be you know two or four of those guys standing around and you wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole but you know you're just trying to like not let the the young soldiers notice these other kinds of guys out there and just try to keep them focused you know because they're they're more instilling for their own people you know procedure repetitiveness focus discipline that type of thing and you know for for navy guys at any level it was it was a different experience so i'm kind
0: of curious since you're doing this through the military and doing it their training do they teach you on different types of canopies you know you see the 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 uh the jumpers uh from world war ii they have the round canopy obviously there's much different more right these canopies so now. again it
4: all goes back to the the pool analogy there's the tadpole badge and the you know the minnow badge and the dolphin badge and mm-hmm. Uh, with the Army, you start out with that very World War II classic round parachute with a little bit of steering capability. And so, at, in that three-week program, you get five jumps. And you, you, know, you, you want to land as many times as you jump out the door you know, without breaking, breaking anything. <sighs> um, five jumps got you the sort of traditional silver parachute wings you might be familiar with when you see them on some people's uniforms then uh there's opportunity later at least on the navy side to get more advanced training um and then at at those higher levels are the more demanding type of equipment or the super high altitudes with oxygen all kinds of things so it's it's very much a a step-by-step process to become an expert in your field
0: have you continued uh skydiving or anything like that since you left the navy
4: nope i ended up just doing the the 10 jumps necessary in the navy to get your gold wings um but afterwards this is a civilian, uh, only one jump since then
0: so you're hmm. probably you're probably not up for doing the squirrel suit or anything else like that
2: or that uh red bull guy that jumped from the oh uh, atmosphere bomb gardener yeah <laughs>
4: whatever yeah hey that guy's fascinating man go easy on him did you see that, how
0: fast he was spinning like, I, I, oh my god I,
4: I watched a documentary on that and i've saved it ever since there's something about jumping just flat out from the edge of space that just
2: fascinates the hell out of me we we talk about this that i am a um there are uh, i realize now that your everybody's brain is different and i always reference the free solo guy that uh, you know climbed um right el capitan yeah in california yeah um and they looked at his amygdala and it was very small Mm. i'm all amygdala so the thought of jumping from the atmosphere is just (laughs) terrifying to me
0: yeah man that was crazy though and he i can't remember how many records that he broke he almost broke the longest free fall that was like the only one that he didn't i think he was the fastest in speed i don't know i didn't know you were gonna bring him up or i would have looked that stuff up but uh yeah
2: it was i did not know that we were gonna talk about uh uh, making fun of army guys (laughs) (laughs) we could do that all day
0: (laughs) So after, after the, uh, Naval Academy, what, what kind of industry did you hop into?
4: So uh, when you come out, you had a, uh, at least a five-year minimum commitment to the military mm-hmm. as a junior officer. So uh, I, did, uh, I had a great opportunity to do a very, very small niche thing, which was uh, cryptology. And that's just sort of a, a subset of Naval Intelligence in general. And I had very arduous duties in Scotland and Hawaii, uh, plus some <laughs> plus some cool opportunities to uh, serve on British ships and go chase Russian submarines around and and do cool stuff like that at the end of the Cold War. Um, oh,
0: just to put this in context, so uh, at the end of the Cold War, so we're, we're talking that you were doing the chasing the submarines post-88?
4: Is- yes, post-88. So I think the Soviet Union fell around, was it uh, about 92-ish? Uh-huh. Um, and so I was right at the tail end. So I I had a, a, an Academy experience that was 100% focused on the Soviet Union at the time. Wow! So hundred percent, you know, that was, you know, 40, 50 years of,
2: well, probably 40 years at the time of cold war. Um, so that was, that 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 was the mindset. I mean, the mindset 50 years of just ingrained, like there's people that spent their whole career and that was the one thing that they focused on. Then you come in, and there you are. Yeah, boom, and then you graduate, and, and the whole world changed.
0: So the dissolution of the USSR. Did y'all ever have to keep up with any of the states that had broken away and that weren't Russian?
4: Right. So you know, prior to the breakup, this is kind of interesting. So I was a I was a watch officer in Scotland, and that meant that you know, this this was a twenty four seven operation of, of spying on the Soviet Navy and some ancillary things. And in the The rest of
2: the world, has no idea this is going on the whole time. That's so fascinating. Right.
4: So we had listening posts all around the world, and we were the specialists that manned those listening posts, um, trying to get you know it was called indications and warning. You wanted to. There was chances that if if the you know if if there was ever going to be World War Three, there would be indications ahead of time of special kinds of Soviet activity, and that's why you spied on them because there might be indications of big movements or unusual activities. And you're looking for unusual patterns as an analyst. And if those things happened, then you might be able to warn the U S from what you're seeing ahead of what anybody else was doing. So we could prepare and respond. So that was sort of the, the general mission back then. And one of those that actually went happened was that's when Yugoslavia broke up. Remember some of the satellite States were breaking up at the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Yugoslavia was one of them. And I just happened to be on watch at one moment where, one of our criteria was, if there were certain kinds of activity you detected, you had less than 10 minutes to notify the White House God. and senior- And you had to make a
2: decision. Yeah, and you, so yeah. you're, so you're a like...
4: 22, 23-year-old ensign or or Lieutenant JG in the Navy, you're in charge of like 90 people, and it's, and you're the, and it's totally on
2: you at two o'clock in the morning to decide if you're gonna call the White House. Okay, so I just wanna stop right there for a second, because we have <laughs> um, not uncommonly, we'll hire employees and something, Will, will happen. Um, you know, it's, it's happened with everybody where it's that they don't show for work. They, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And the response usually is they're just a kid. They're only 25. I'm like, he's 23 <laughs> yeah. about ready to declare war.
4: Yeah, yeah. Protecting you. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. So um, one of the things we do is we would spy on some of the Soviet merchant ships and you could hear them commun- communicating. And it just so happened at the time, like a Soviet merchant ship was going up a river, I think, in Yugoslavia, and there were shots being fired on both sides. So the, it's, this thing's right in the middle with rockets and shots being, you know, flying over the ship to either side because the country was breaking up. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, by the book, you know, if you if you studied your craft, you realize this kind of met that criteria. So you send this special kind of report and boom, you know, 10 minutes later, you're waking up the world on this.
0: And You were there and and part of that team that had to make that call. Yep. Oh, my. That's wild. That really is. That's very intense. And it's kind of interesting that we've got Leif here talking about his experience and watching the breakup of the USSR firsthand. A few weeks ago, we had a guy on here named Rick Moore, and he was working the first rock concert in Moscow, and it occurred right before the fall of the wall
2: yeah Gorky
0: Park uh, yeah Gorky Park and his interpretation of that as a civilian going over and taking those photos so it's crazy to hear that uh it had to be right around the same time Yeah, you'd be about three years after that it sounds like that you're watching the breakup of the countries because I don't remember how many there were in the USSR 19 or something like that but that uh his
2: experience sounded almost identical except he was with a lot of women and cameras and rock stars Mm -hmm. and drinking yeah, and it sounds like you were holed up someplace alone at two a.m. Yeah, <laughs> just exactly the same. Exactly the same.
0: <laughs> so after after the uh, the uh, call goes to Yugoslavia, then how much longer are you doing the cryptology work for
4: the for the naval? Uh, so I had the one tour after that uh, in Hawaii, uh, and then I decided to get out because uh, from from what I had just witnessed, it's the kind of career that. As a, as a young person, you get to do all the cool things on the front end. And then on the back end, if you ever get to be a captain or an admiral, I think there's, there's probably a lot of cool things that go along with that. But there's an entire mid-career, a good 10 years, that you're not really engaged with the operational side like I was enjoying.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and you're probably more pouring coffee and buying time. You know, to see if you can become a senior officer later, and that was just too long a run for me to, to go ahead and recommit to that. So as soon as my commitment was up, um, I realized that you know I'd made a hard turn from who I was as a kid to what it took to, uh, you know, do well in a in a in a military environment with that type of responsibility. But all of my vocabulary at that point was strictly military. So I realized, you know, I. I was missing a whole other chunk of more normal life. How old are you at this point? Uh, probably 28. Okay. And so uh, I went to business school as a way to both get more education and then also sort of de-speak myself on, on being too military about how the world worked and, and just get uh, a bit of a, use grad school to get a bit of, bit of the college experience I, I thought I'd missed on.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. So that that was going to be one of my questions is how did you prepare yourself for the exit? Do you think that it was a full year before you decided that you were going to call it quits in the military that you had said, I need to lay my foundation to get into the corporate world?
4: Yep, it was exactly a year. So I basically put my notice in a a year in advance to to give enough notice to rotate out of that tour.
0: Dude, uh, just kind of curious, does the uh, the Navy then approach you and say, Leif, you should really reconsider? Do they have kind of an exit interview process where they –
4: I want to see if they can have some level of retention so that you don't walk away. Uh, no, not in particular, although, uh, you know, they, it was more about trying to get you to go into the reserves after that, then to sort of keep your skills relatively fresh, keep your clearance active, you know, that type of thing. So, um, this was also kind of coming this was during the Clinton years at that point, And so they were also shrinking forces down. They were even paying a lot of pilots and stuff, big bonuses to leave. You know, that type of thing. So it's very cyclical. So you went and got your MBA after that at Tulane, correct? Right.
0: All right. Well, um, we've only got a minute left where we wrap up this uh, this half hour. and We'll be back here in just a moment with uh, Leif. But uh, Ken, you gonna join the Navy? Oh, man.
2: <laughs> I just love the idea of a 23-year-old making a decision like that and him being on the front end and be able to tell people, I watched Yugoslavia go through this and I had to inform the U.S. And then suddenly CNN sitting there doing this it's uh people forget what our what our veterans go through what our soldiers do and the responsibility put on them at a very young age well
0: not only that but the thing that i find most incredible about leif and others like him that have started off with their military background training is you are forced into roles of maturation quickly and it's no coincidence that people like leif end up in positions like that they're in now because you've You've basically, in the most formative of your years, been forced to make critical decisions, have confidence in doing it, and then moving forward. So
2: no shock whatsoever. Absolutely. So we're going to get into that and talk about how Elixinol brought a mind like yours in to legitimize the industry.
0: Absolutely. Okay. That's the end of this half hour. We'll see y'all in two minutes. all right we are now back with the last half hour of the gut check project episode number 13 and uh, just breaking down a very awesome career path from uh our own leif harrison sitting to my right and uh, leif we just basically wrapped up a lot of what you had done in the naval academy and you prepared to leave the navy via gaining your mba tulane university And then you moved into the corporate world, obviously a lot different setting. How did you feel prepared as you embarked upon this, uh, this new level of
4: career? Yeah, I guess what's uh, what I wasn't expecting was that sort of as a 30 year old, uh, newly minted grad with an MBA that then, you know, you're, I didn't expect to start at the bottom. So, in the corporate world, I wasn't pouring coffee, but I wasn't too far away from that either so i was I was just thrown in the world of spreadsheets and fifteen hour days and just grinding, grinding, grinding on that um it's It's been a valuable tool that stayed with me since, so I appreciate that part of it but it was it was a hard switch, and I think it's hard for a lot of vets uh the responsibility and and the teams that they led and what that meant as young people, and then you can start a a pure civilian career and it's just you as an individual. Um, you've got some work assignments and you're like, you, you know what for you helped helps make you better in that new role. But that doesn't mean that the new role understands any of that or even cares so much. So, you know, sometimes at 30, I was like at 20, I was doing way more than this. Yeah. And you,
2: and your, and your boss happens to be 22.
4: Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, it then, you know, there were a few initial stops along the way. Um, definitely got my feet wet, but as it turned out, um, <laughs> this is funny. So when I joined the Navy at 17, I get a letter from my folks like a month later and they're like, we quit our jobs. We're starting our own business. It's was like, okay. I mean, they never gave me any clue about that. As soon as I was out of the house, I was an only child. I was out. They just reset. So like I said, my dad was a pretty brilliant mechanical engineer. He'd actually invented a device, um, a new technology for railroads to help them predictively have a better idea when a, when a train might derail. Oh. And so he could actually analyze wheels on a train as it went down the track and tell you, you know what, that wheel's about to go bad. And when it does, it's going to cause the entire train to derail. Oh geez. So he co-invented that technology And then started his own business. And my mom, who also happened to be an MBA at the time, the two of them opened up shop and turned that technology
2: into their business for the next 20 years. Oh, my gosh.
0: No, that's actually really impressive.
2: Whenever I hear any business, I think about marketing. How do you get that out there? What do you do? And I just, uh, I don't know your dad, but like one of those like weird commercials where it's like, are you worried about your train derailing? We have the technology to prevent that. Yeah, they always Well, there, did. it's just a big
4: enough business with, that when you're the only ones in the world with a with a patented technology to deal with it, there's enough there to keep the lights on. Wow, that's awesome. It's too bad they weren't able to use YouTube clips to make that happen. They just shoot their own commercials. <laughs> so what was interesting is that that was the classic case of it took ten years to be an overnight success. Always yeah, does. Always so does. always does. By the time it was a success, they had grown just enough that it gave me an opportunity to go home and help them on the family business for like seven years and actually have some skills to actually make a difference.
2: Wow, that's awesome. So then you did a couple other jobs, um, you were in sales, what was your favorite? So I'm, I'm seeing here you were with a controller, you were a manager at Jepson, um, which is a Boeing company. Correct. And you, you were with them for three years. And then um, how did you end up at Elixinol? So the whole reason why we put this foundation of you is because you have this complex background you bring a lot of value to a company like Elixson all that recently went public about a year ago or so, right? Yep. And so they, they sought you out. You bring a ton of value to this company.
4: Yeah, I think I have a pattern of kind of, uh, um, I, hit it, I hit it hard going in. I like all the learning that you have to do. And then maybe I get a little bit bored once I think I've figured something out and I move on to the next thing. Uh, the difference here, though, is that this is, this is an aspect of business I've never seen before there is in all the other work I've ever done. You've had to beat the phones to help keep the business alive and try to grow it here. I don't call anybody. They call us. So there is so much demand for what's going on here. Can we partner with you that? I, that I sit here and have uh, the only luxury I've ever had in my life of sifting through opportunities and deciding we like, we like, this opportunity, but we're going to let that one sit aside. I don't have to chase everything and then take my chances. There can be a lot more selective.
2: You're like the pretty girl on Tinder. Right. (laughs) 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 Left, left, (laughs) left. Right. So
4: (laughs) I think, um, I think with that is there's, there's a responsibility to get it right. And, And it's also to not repeat mistakes of the past, which is, it looks to me, in, in, in my view of the world, that we, we've had some moments like tech in the late 90s. and But everybody knows how that kind of turned out and flamed out. And it was run by a lot of people who, if you just kind of took a little bit of look under the hood, there wasn't a whole lot of there there. And then finally, reality caught up with them in the market. This has that kind of fever in it on the front end, but we're trying to professionalize the market so that there are actually legitimate, legitimate, winners in this space because they have brought in the kinds of right people to work. What I call to me, it's like the phase two phase one was the startup back in 2014 Mm -hmm. when the farm bill passed and gave a little bit of breathing room to what you could do with hemp phase two was the second farm bill last December of 2018 that said, okay, this is, this can be more commercialized and now that it's commercialized um, it is drawing the attention of a lot of other sort of, multi-career path professionals who've gleaned a lot of experiences and a lot of other aspects of formal business to come into this world with marketing operations finance business development sales all of that they they kind of they have enough wisdom they've gleaned along the way to say these are tools and practices that work and these aren't and they're sort of helping the entrepreneurs that worked in phase one to now have um, Processes in place, certifications in place, formal plans in p- place. Uh, take money from the markets in in and with a fiduciary responsibility and a
2: mindset to manage their, those people's money. That's that's why I think your background is so important. Using the term fiduciary responsibility, mm-hmm. and you said I did spreadsheets in this job. I went back. I did this startup with my mom and dad. I did the whole thing at twenty three, having this. You come into this thing, and every time, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is because when we talk to you, you talk very different. Everybody else is like, let's strike while the iron's hot. Let's just do this. You're like, let's slow everything down. Let's build a structure, a framework. Let's build a long-term plan. Um, that's why I want to science it up. That's why you want to use the processes, you know, standard operating procedure to get this from point A to wherever you want to go, uh, and I think that the key to somebody being really successful is being able to link these different memories that you've developed along the way and implement this. And I do believe that there's going to be one or two major players in the end, and Elixinol is going to be one of them.
0: You know, something else, though, about Leif's movement, uh, and I think Leif just really uh, emboldens your position on on taking those approaches in this particular industry. If we just back up time two decades ago, and you thought of someone who may have left a uh, a large financial group or something like that, and they'd moved into internet or some type of internet company, you would think, man, that is a crazy move. What a, what a wild move from a standard industry or a banking industry over to a, a, a frontier. But you wouldn't think anything about that today. If someone came from AOL and moved over to, I don't know, Dean Witter or something like that, you wouldn't think anything of it. You just say, oh, that makes sense. That's an established industry. It only makes sense they're probably going to do some kind of application. I think where you're at is one of the new frontiers that we'll we'll look back in 10 or 15 years and go, that's a very established industry.
2: Well, let me just throw this at you. As business development, what is your six-month, one-year goals in this industry that is just the Wild West right now?
4: Well, it's trying to get uh, other decision makers to consider saying no for the first time because they've had to say, like any entrepreneur, they've had to say yes to everything just to keep the doors open. Mm -hmm. And I respect that. But now you can be a little more selective and you need to be because it's not necessarily just your money anymore at stake. Mm -hmm. And you have to be mindful of that. You have to now, instead of worrying about, am I going to get to next, you know, to the fall? You know, it's more like. What what could our destination look like in three years? What should it look like in five years? And making pro and it's there's such there's enough white space of opportunity in all of this that let's start making some bets now that aren't necessarily going to pay off immediately. But we think as the industry shakes itself out, these are the kinds of things you look back on and go, man, I'm glad we set that up three years ago because look what it did for us today.
0: I think, and and hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn here, but would one of those be practical
4: application in research? I mean, 100%. We spend, uh, we are uh, intentionally focused on areas like medical professionals and education to that audience who who can then act like internal champions, like KBMD, to their audiences about the benefits of CBD. And at the same time, just uh, always trying to answer the question, what can we do to bring a new user in who has questions? How can we honor their questions and educate them in a way that they feel like they can make a smart decision for themselves? Those are, those are two challenges. I don't think we go one
2: or two days without really being conscious of. You know, on that same note, I received an email from a friend who uh, sent me an article from Supermarket News trying to address some of the top concerns that retailers and customers have. And one of the questions that I'm looking at right here is I hear that a lot of hemp CBD products are testing poorly. What about brand and retailer concerns about supply integrity? And I think that's one of the things that you have to differentiate yourself because there are a lot of people talking a lot of crap and retailers want to be able to be able to explain the story to the consumer that comes in. The consumer wants to know that what they're getting. So the brand itself, when you say three and five year, when you become the Kleenex of the industry, and that's what we want to be with Atron Teal. We want to be the Kleenex of, of gut health. It's the same thing. Of, eventually, that name sticks out because of the integrity.
4: Right. So, like on the retail side, uh, because of the last farm bill, the large retail chains, the national chains, uh, don't want to be too late to the party. Maybe not necessarily the first one out of the gate, but probably not the third or fourth one either. I mean, they're really looking for the sweet spot. Uh, so we are constantly in front of audiences like this, constantly making the case with 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 very specific messaging that they they can then turn around to their own decision makers and repeat that messaging as internal champions. I mean it's it's a it's a sales process that works, but it's also we need to keep it anchored in in truth and integrity uh, at all stages. And we have found that whether we've won opportunities or lost opportunities, we clearly have gained the respect. Of audiences we've spoken to, who say, you know what, yeah, we might have gone with the other guy, but we have a feeling we, you know, we don't know if this will work, but we have laid such a baseline down of reputation that I think it's only a matter of time before they before they come home to somebody who's going to be there for the long term, and then the long term ties into the supply question. So, testing bad results, all of that stuff, it, it's a it's a game that has never played. It's always spent whatever money it's needed to spend to get the independent third-party testing it needs and publishing those results from day one as soon as a product hits the market that what's in that bottle or what's in that tube is what the label says it is and then here's the independent third party test that you can go to the website click on improve that's what that is so we can't fix the rest of the world all we can do is set a standard that says at the end of the day this is who we are And I guarantee you that the larger corporations in the world do not want to mess around with anything on their supplier side that doesn't meet those standards. So it's the certifications, it's the processes, it's getting corporate to some degree, which can be a bad word to people. But again, it's really about applying lessons that matter across time and, if, and when you're in a phase two growth phase, these are the new responsibilities you have to take on, which is why you have to you have to go outside at times to sort of professionalize
2: the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All, um, everything you just said, I thought was just amazing.
0: That makes sense. Do you find the the uh, the uh, opportunities with other technically competitors, but probably other good actors in the business is using them as allies? Is something as y'all develop this frontier? That they become, y'all basically lean on each other to, to make some of these advances?
4: I think it's, we're early enough right now that we're all still competitors because there's a lot of ground to stake out. However, I think the markets over time will act like they do. And when they do, even the competitors are, are going to find that sort of a, a co-opetition will be the, the mechanism by which if they're, if they're not going to merge, they need to coexist So, like Pepsi and and Coke will coexist. There may only end up being two or three big players when this is all said and done. Um, Elixinol is going about it a little differently. We're a little more uh, global in nature and uh, at the expense of quarterly-by-quarterly profit performance. But we're playing the long game, and I don't know that anyone else is to the degree that we are. Mm -hmm. So, did you find that going into a new frontier industry
0: where... Previously doing corporate work right out of the Navy, you said that you were probably in, in a, a lower-level job than, than anything you'd had exposure with in the Navy, and you kind of had to work your way up. And then, of course, you parlay that into the different uh, positions that you took <coughs> that led you to Elixinol and joining the hemp industry. Do you find that kind of being on a frontier has been kind of a thrust back or a little bit more of a hybrid uh, setting?
4: I, I am drawing on skills that I, I thought I'd long since forgotten. That's kind I of what i It is, it is, you need a bit of a wild west mentality, but you need to remember where you came from. You need to be disciplined when, when other people necessarily aren't, you need to learn to say no in a room when, when they've not heard that before. You can't chase everything down, but if you do commit to chase, then you chase it the right way. You, mm-hmm. ch- you chase it with an engagement on the front end and the middle and the back end, uh, with uh, well prepared thoughts, well prepared documents, well researched, well argued. And uh, it's the workload is higher than I've ever seen it in any job I've ever been before. But you can win if you just have the endurance to keep out. So you're it.
2: working harder now than you ever have?
4: Ever have. Wow.
0: It just seems like that whenever you were in, in the Navy and talking about your naval experience and then going over and listening to the Russians, that you had really critical decisions that had to be made. And then suddenly you're thrust into this corporate world where lots of it has kind of been done multiple times over. And so you, you, everybody kind of to some level, not that you didn't work, but you work where your, your sandbox is. And now you're back into this, a wild
4: industry where a lot of people are waiting on you to make a big decision. It's a, it's a constant tension between winging it on what your gut says and making decisions based on sound information. And that, that tension is always there, but I think uh, whoever in this industry dials that in correctly is going to come out on top.
0: Yeah, that is really interesting, because the, the Cold War right now for the hemp industry is just the right permissions to be allowed and and, and for the right things to happen for banking.
2: Yeah, do you ever get frustrated when you see just so many companies, MLMs, people just making claims, people doing the things that you're purposely not doing you're doing things on the up and up i mean do you even is that just white noise to you do you just not care it is white noise
4: and and uh because there's so much workload i don't have much bandwidth left to even pay attention to any of that and that's probably a good thing because it would probably drive me nuts (laughs) if i did
2: (laughs) it's always funny because when i um whenever i put any of my patients on cbd and they're like oh well i'm on this and it costs this. I'm like, how many milligrams? And then you realize there's all this gamesmanship in the pricing. There's gamesmanship in the marketing. That's you have no idea if it, they, they don't even list the CBD, you know, milligrams, all that stuff. Do you have a certificate of analysis? No, and you have to go through and explain all that. And I'm like, this is this is an interesting industry. When it becomes standardized, when when we had Chris Hussong on, where he said, I think that we need to change the label. We need to make make it so it's much more. Um, obvious what the milligrams are and where it is, which companies have c o a s which of these things because that's I think the industry's changing uh, almost on a monthly basis that 's critical part, and I think it 's actually the first of two parts. The
4: second part is it appears expensive, but compared to what what other pills are you on oh. what other things are you trying to target? How much is all that stuff costing you when when you 're taking a regimen of eight or ten or twelve different things? Physician recommended or not to you know to basically not cure what ails you but just really manage what ails you. Well, here's this other thing that if you if you look at it on sort of a, a value proposition, you know, a cost per effect. Uh, I I am hard pressed even even just from a, a putting an old financial analyst hat on. I am hard pressed to figure out a way that you aren't actually saving money in the long run by getting by paying for the high-end quality full-spectrum CBD given what you then get to set aside that's been your regimen in a whole bunch of other areas with side effects and compounding effects and really you know my wife is a disabled vet um, injured in army training and she's had multiple surgeries um, uh, if you're not waiting for the VA, you're just given bags and bags of hard drugs mm. and all it's doing is masking a problem, creating four other ones to get your mind off something central that's not being fixed. So again, if people are going to talk about the cost of the, of the high quality, high proven CBD,
2: then I would just say compared to what? Well, what's interesting is when you could consumer labs did a whole analysis and, uh, the Elixinol, actually milligram to milligram in quality, is one of the most cost-effective CBD milligram to milligram. They did a whole analysis on this. Great article on that. Getting back to your talk about how, what is the actual cost, well, that's what I deal with when I have patients. I have the luxury of having somebody that we diagnose with ulcerative proctitis and a drug called Canassa costs $1,500 a month, and we're going to end up publishing a case series here shortly about how we have shown both endoscopic and pathologic remission using essentially whatever it would be at the time we were we did one month so for you know seventy nine bucks we put you into remission
0: with and, that. And they had real relief.
2: Yeah, and this is not a disease claim. This is just here is the endoscopic picture, here is the pathologic picture. Yeah. If you cannot go get those drugs, then we have an alternative solution.
0: That brings up another, uh, another point. We were talking uh, just yesterday, that article that uh, McWilliams sent over that brought up the perceptions of what a retailer has to take into consideration in life, obviously handling the business end for Elixinol. I'm sure these are challenges that you come up against, but uh, Ken, do you have any of those that kind of left out at you whenever we were reading through that?
2: Well, it's a very interesting article because it was um, the article stated it's seven retailer and brand owner questions answered about hemp CBD and you know one of the simple ones is how is it made and so it goes into a little bit about that that's not what we have you here for we're talking about some of these different um posi- the legal positions that's changing i mean from a i mean from a business development perspective when you suddenly have a bill change or a state adopt something you're you have to pivot and move that way or move accordingly and that's not an easy thing from a business development standpoint you've got so many different things well It's like the wind changing on your boat, right? I mean, you just have to adapt. Yeah. We might not
4: even really be in the first 10% of this whole journey yet. So I'm not a retail specialist, but you know, I do, I do have a general sense that people walk into a, a, a target or a Walmart and there's price points in their head because of their experience of being in targets and Walmarts. So, you know, something that might be above $40 in those venues uh, is sticker shock because they're just not using to spend anything more than that when they walk in there. So there is a challenge that to get on retail shelves, you know, we're either uh, shrinking the bottle down to a $40 price point mm-hmm. or we're giving them um, uh, the power of volume, but maybe at, at sticker shock for the person that's walking in. So that's another challenge in the mind shift that has to occur that if you're talking about being proactive about your own wellness and then comparing that to what your alternatives are in, in the pain management space uh, that this is actually a, a a value way out both in health and cost uh, to manage your own future. Uh, But we're probably still a long way there from having that be a common mind share. That's pretty
0: wild because if you, if you're able to put it and you use this word last hour, which is context put into context, what cost is, it's far more than cash out of your pocket. Quality of life, the one thing that you can value more than anything is going to be time. And if your time is high quality, that's good time spent. But if your time, unfortunately, is spent in pain or where you cannot enjoy your life, your quality of life is low, that's what we're all trying to avoid. That's what we want to escape for not only yourself, but for your loved ones. And if you can just use a little bit of cash to buy a lot more good QOL quality of life. It's worth it. And that level of exchange is what people don't know when they see that sticker shock. And can you have that issue with patients at the clinic at first, when we were first uh, using the elixinol, once uh, you determined it worked best in your patients, we had the four ounce bottle and the sticker shock of it was like, I'd love to try it, but it's, it's a little bit hard for me to grab. So actually they paid a little bit more per milligram, to get a smaller step in, and now they
2: yeah that's the love it. that's the KBMD model, and the, you know people do, and when they get that, and so now we have a little built-in deal where if somebody goes to kbmd, um, KBMD com, uh, you know we build it in, so that we, I understand that when I put people on this, I tell everybody, I tell my patients, I said, look, I need you to commit to this. Don't try it once and say it didn't work. Same thing with Atron Don't take one tablet and go, oh, it didn't work. Right. Because we do the same thing with pharmaceuticals. All the studies have always shown whenever we do a study on anything that it can take up to X amount of weeks to work, blah, blah, blah. So I tell everybody, I mean, think of your endocannabinoid system like a sponge. If it's really dry, you may require longer and, and more amounts to really saturate it. Once you're saturated, you're going to feel like a new person, and depending on what those issues are. The problem is, is this white noise where everybody says it fixes this, it fixes that. We know, and an hour ago we talked about leaky gut. Not saying that it fixes leaky gut. I'm telling you a mechanism in a research model how it actually binds to certain receptors to do this. Hence, when somebody comes back and says, "Hey, I feel better," I believe that the combination of atrantil and KBMD elixanol branded hemp oil is meant to work together and that's what's really cool because i see that success especially in my Crohn's and colitis people
0: i see it whenever they come through for the scopes and they give us the report that uh i feel better or we certainly can't mention names but we had the one gentleman who suffered from from Crohn's for a long time who had been anemic for years and suddenly now he's not and the only things that had changed it wasn't diet he'd already been adhering to that
2: he essentially just yeah my only disappointment with it now is that my staff has gotten so good and obviously we take time to do the show and stuff and so i have my my physician assistant megan who's gotten good enough that now when i see people i was like hey let me tell you about cbd and they're like yeah i'm on it I'm like no. <laughs> so i lose the ability to do the whole I'm like oh megan's getting pretty good at putting people on this okay that's uh, you know because it's a little bit of a dopamine increase when i get a chance to talk about it
0: yeah definitely well leif believe it or not that's already been two hours and uh i can't thank you enough for for uh, mm-hmm. riding your horse all the way down from Colorado yeah. to join us here in uh, in uh, Texas. What did you have? The, you had a comment about the air conditioning in our little studio here. What was that?
4: Uh, that it's like Ice Station Zebra. <laughs> Classical Navy Rock Hudson movie.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't have that one in my viewing pleasure. Usually we
2: we tend to quote movies, but yeah, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> <No.
0: laughs> Pull from. You did list Tombstone as uh, as one of your favorite movies also. So. Classic. Yeah, that one. That one. Ken, what's your favorite tombstone uh, line? Is it a Doc Holiday?
4: I'll be a huckleberry. Yeah, that's that's, that's most people's go to move. Yeah. Mine is. Uh, you tell him I'm coming, and hell's coming with me.
0: <laughs> well, here at the end of the show, there's also the one where he just says, "Well, bye." <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Leif, thank you so much for coming down. I love the fact that um, Alex knows grabbed you from the corporate world and. You've got you got your work cut out for you.
0: Episode 13's in the books. Leif, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. We will see y'all next week.
2: Right on. Great job.
3: This is the only 24-hour Take Anywhere platform dedicated to food and fun. We're Spoonie.